0: O U T D O O R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether, and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit fullyloadedchew.com.
1: You're listening to the Average Conservationist podcast brought to you by Go Hunt and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Sign up today to become an insider at GoHunt.com. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitments as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their community for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for Conservation at fish.com. And wildlife.org, that's fishandwildlife.org. Happy Thursday, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Matting Patelis, and Matting is the co-founder and CEO of 2% certified brand hunt to eat uh, Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with hunt to eat Um, they started off really, um, just as an apparel brand, uh, Matting and his brother, uh, had started some, uh, about eight years ago now. And it's really kind of transformed, uh, into, um, this community, uh, not just, uh, apparel, but, you know, recipes, um, different hunt camps and has become this very, uh, inclusive organization, uh, and community, um, to try to get people into the outdoors um, to, you know, help and teach them about, uh, you know, preparing wild game uh, and and all and and foraging and just all these different things that someone can do in the outdoors that isn't necessarily directly hunting. Um, And, you know, another thing Matting and I talk about is, is his upbringing here in Michigan and how his path to where he's at now was a little bit uh, unconventional or non-traditional, I guess. Um, you know, while he spent, you know, pretty much all of his life in the outdoors, it just wasn't necessarily directly um, in in the hunting space. Um, Martin goes on to to talk about uh, some really big things that they have coming at Hunt to Eat um, that they're actually uh, just announcing this week as well, um, with a bunch of new content that they're going to be putting out, um, various podcasts um and a new magazine a quarterly magazine that they're that they're coming out with as well Uh, so some really cool exciting stuff coming out from hunt to eat Uh, i was super uh, excited when matting was was telling us telling me about it and we kind of had to keep it under wraps uh for a little bit until they actually made the announcement so episode 63 matting Patelis, hunt to eat enjoy all right, I'd like to welcome into the podcast today the co-founder and CEO of 2% Certified Brand Hunt to Eat, Matting Patelis. Matting, how are you, man? I'm doing well, man.
2: Doing well. Uh, it's a little hot here in Denver, a little smoky, but uh, but we're managing. So Yeah. Yeah. We
1: I was uh, out in Denver uh, September of last year. Uh yeah, probably middle middle to end of September. Uh, and obviously the fires kind of ravaged through, especially there further out on the west side. Um, and I was coming I was heading east into Denver, uh, and we were on, on 70 there. And you could see where the fire had come down. And since we were on the eastbound, it like everything was torched all the way right down to the, uh, the westbound lane. And it was just insane to see the damage. That was a big fire. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's a trip. You know, what's happening there on that stretch right now is they essentially are telling you that if you see thunderstorms building, that you should not drive that stretch because we've had, it burned everything so badly that we've had, uh, uh, landslides through that whole section of, of road. Really? And so it's, it's, it's closed the highway like two times, two or three times, I think already. Um, yeah. Which is crazy for Colorado, right. Cause like to get around, it's essentially the Glenwood, Glenwood Canyon. And, uh, when 70 shuts down, like it shuts down commerce in the United States. Right. Cause like, Oh yeah. To, Cause it's 70, right. So 70 runs across the country and it's, um, it's crazy how the detour for that thing is like brutal for truckers. It's like,
1: Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, I know... It's like a
2: four-hour detour.
1: Yeah, because I know I've been out there in the wintertime skiing where, you know, just between to get to, you know, from Denver to, like, all the resorts that are maybe hour, hour and a half outside of Denver there. I mean, if that pass gets closed because of a nasty storm, uh, yeah, the, the workaround is just awful for, you know, just being in a regular passenger car, let alone, you know, a semi or something like that.
2: Yeah, yeah, so it's crazy it's uh you know i think that's what we're dealing with in the west these days is uh lots of lots of forest fires yeah you know? yeah so it's, it,
1: it's certainly yeah. an unfortunate thing to to have to deal with you know year in and year out
2: yep yep um but uh until all that pine bark beetle gets burned or gets managed one way or the other i think i don't see it stopping anytime which is a little crazy because there's some spots in colorado where there's just so like everything is pine bark beetle killed right yeah. and so it's just waiting for someone someone or something to strike a match or a, a lightning strike or something and, and burn it all yeah just waiting um, its turn essentially right yep exactly yeah well, so
1: well i know how busy uh you are with with hunt to eat and everything like that so uh you know i really appreciate you being able to make some time today
2: yeah no i'm, I'm glad to, uh, to have the conversation uh, share what's coming with Huntie. We got a lot of new stuff brewing and building. Um so yeah, it'd be fun to share that with the world here. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe maybe even a little pregame. Uh, yeah, honestly. And yeah, I know we, when
1: we launch. So. Yeah, I know we talked about that so we're trying to launch this as close to um kind of your announcement of all the cool stuff that you guys have coming so hopefully we're we're yeah. able to make that happen so the timing is right. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you, Martin, so how was it that you were kind of first introduced to the outdoors, kind of going all the way back to, to
2: your childhood? Uh, Boy Scouts. Okay. Yeah, so we did. Uh, we had a Latvian Boy Scout. You know, obviously, well, for folks who don't know, I'm Latvian, but, you know, that's my, my brother, the old famous Latvian Eagle on Meat Eater. Um, we've gotten a name, I think, a little bit because of our Latvianism. Um, but yeah, we grew up like on a uber Latvian family. So Latvian is my first language. And, uh, so of course, uh, we were in a Latvian boy scout troop and, uh, yeah, I mean, we got, we had pretty good, you know, like, uh, I know mean, what you want to call them, like, uh, scout leaders, if you will. And, uh, they got us out a bunch and, um, into different camps and stuff and backpacking and whatnot. So yeah, that was really the biggest, I think. Just that and you know, our dad obviously hunted growing up, so um, I never actually hunted with him, but we definitely got around um, outside, building blinds and helping him, you know, do stuff and he'd point out sign and all that kind of stuff. So we were always in the woods. We also were just, I'm still, I'm old enough that we were full on latchkey kids, so we just ran around the neighborhood and <laughs> luckily had a lot of, you know, green spaces around to go get lost in the woods and build forks and stuff. So we were always just rummaging around outside you know looking for stuff and doing doing stuff
1: yeah I feel like uh I mean I grew up the same way I mean I grew up in a, in a fairly rural area in, in northern lower Michigan there and yeah that's kind of how it was right you just you uh, you know I, I had a lot of woods around me so it was just kind of go play in the woods until you know it, it seemed like it was probably time to head home or you saw your mom's car driving up and down the road looking for you or driving slow by yep. the woods and and seeing where you were at or something like that so yeah it's uh I I feel like, you know, nowadays that, that, that I don't want to say it's frowned upon, but it's definitely not as prevalent, uh, as it was probably when you and I grew up.
2: Definitely not. Um, yeah. Which is a bummer. It It is a bummer. I think it's, uh, it's good for kids to play and explore and, and, uh, be left to their own, uh, volition, uh, how, how, no matter what kind of trouble they get into. Yeah. Um, But yeah. So yeah, we, uh, we kind of did that, um, boy scouts and whatnot. And, uh, honestly, there was a lot of like, uh, I think for my middle, the kind of middle years I got lost in, uh, being, a, being just a, a I don't know what you want to call it. Like, a, not the best kid in the, in school or whatever. And just like, you know, doing teenager stuff. Um, but eventually I had a, uh, um, I had an English teacher who actually, uh, was kind enough to see the, see the little bit of,
1: all right. So you were saying, uh, you had an English teacher there. We got uh, cut off for a second.
2: Yeah. So, um, yeah, thanks to, uh, thanks to my 10th grade English teacher. And, uh, really I think, uh, a, a, a kind of a, so the end of the year, um, final exam was, uh, about transcendental writers, you know, like Emerson, um, all those folks. And, uh, I didn't study for it whatsoever. And I came in and, uh, sat down and wrote four essays and, uh, I got a, like a hundred I got an, a, it's only a plus I think I've ever gotten. Um, <laughs> because that stuff just came, it came naturally to me, naturally to me to like, think about the woods and like wildness and what that offers people. Um, and what these guys are all writing about, you know? Um, and so I think at that point she saw a little spark uh, that she kind of believed in something about me and she handed me a, uh, like a brochure, but it wasn't a brochure. It was like a full on book about Prescott college, um, which is ultimately where I ended up going to school. But at the time I saw it, I saw the book. I thought it was really cool. You know, they taught you how to rock climb and how to, you know, become a guide and all these things. Um, but they, I also looked at like the, the average GPA of a transferring student and, uh, the cost and, uh, even back then for a private school, like is expensive. Yeah. Um, and so I just kind of put it out of my mind that, you know, that I would ever make it there. Uh, but like four years later, after a couple of years of community college, um, or maybe three years later, somebody asked me like what I wanted to do in life. Um, it was kind of like in a very poignant conversation and it just popped into my head. I was like, I want to go to Preston college and learn how to, you know, rock climb and be a climbing guide and an adventure educator. And, uh, yeah, about a year later, I, uh, through a bunch of work, I ended up making it there. Um, and so, yeah, I, I landed in Arizona. Um, I, I'd say very much on my own. You know, I drove across, I was literally drove out across the country by myself and my blazer and um, just set up shop in Arizona and went to start going to school. And, uh, you know, I just had no I, I the world was kind of blown apart for me at that point, right? Of like moving away from Michigan, moving away from kind of midwestern culture and yeah your being, comfort you know, zone so to speak yeah totally um and landed at like what is arguably probably one of the most liberal colleges in the country um in what and honestly one of the most conservative counties in the country um it's this it's a very uh interesting little dynamic they have going on there but uh yeah i mean then i was just like i was pretty much all about rock climbing at, the, at that time so i spent the next seven years uh guiding uh guiding everything from whitewater rafting to rock climbing to um kind of expedition expeditionary learning type stuff with uh kids as young as fifth grade and you know as old as uh kind of college college age folks and uh, even a lot of older folks that have kind of come back to college so um you know adults um yeah and uh got just a good you know got a good view of like lots of wild places started to get an idea of kind of like who's managing all these public lands and and figuring all that stuff out and uh yeah just romped around the west essentially teaching and uh living out of my van and uh you know would do like a two-week course and then would hang out for two weeks and go rock climbing and then rinse and repeat and did that for a whole bunch of years yeah um yeah. yeah sounds
1: kind of like a, like a really cool crash course and and just kind of, uh, that, that outdoor lifestyle really. Yeah. So after doing that at what point or, you know, transitioning, you know, from, from being a a guide and doing that, when did, you know, the whole idea for hunt to eat kind of come around?
2: Yeah. I I landed back in Denver or back in Colorado, not in Denver at the time, but um, landed in Colorado. Uh, my brother was here. I moved here with my, what turned in, t- turned out to be my first wife. Um, I was actually racing road bikes at the time. Um, I kind of, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, an all or nothing kind of guy. So I, when I land on something, I, I go full force into it. Um, and so I was, I was racing road bikes. I started to manage a team here in, in Colorado. And, uh, but honestly, I just had time to, um, kind of call Colorado home and feel like I had established a bit of a sense of place. And uh, that was kind of important to me to then say, okay, now I can start hunting. Um, and so since my brother lived here, I was like, all right, man, like, I want to hunt. Let's do it. And uh, given who he is and, and all his um, skill sets, he was uh, he's a very good teacher. And uh, so, yeah, I went on my first elk hunt and uh, was kind of hooked. Um, and honestly, that was for the first five I think four years. Yeah. For the first four years, I really only hunted once a year. Right. Like I would hunt my elk. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd spend a little bit of time, you know, preseason, um, shooting my gun. But like, that was pretty much it. Like it was like a, you know, three week endeavor, right. To like shoot my gun a couple of times. I was going to always go hunt elk in the same place. Um, cause you know, my brother would all, he was living there. So he would just be like, yeah, that you know, he always knew the spots and, um, it was, I think, year four where, um, you know, a bunch of life circumstances changed for me here in Colorado, and uh, I had gotten back to my photography kind of roots and was working in photography and doing that stuff, and uh, he started working for, uh, for Meat Eater, and then ultimately I was able to get a job with Meat Eater as well, um, and so then hunting kind of took on this, you know, all-encompassing kind of thing, like... Right. was i was shooting photography i was working for meat eater um you know and we were going on all these different trips to hunt stuff so i started to get an idea of like oh there's like how fun turkey hunting is and um you know getting to go crane hunting and just like all this different stuff i'd never done before um and so in those conversations around hunting and kind of what the industry was like uh we we through some conversation i can't exactly remember where we were what we were doing but it was kind of just like hey like wouldn't it be nice to have a cool t-shirt right we're we, I call ourselves like we're we're Patagonia dudes right we just we the ethos of Patagonia the style the um quality of their gear all that stuff kind of was it is what we wear um today and uh we thought that we should have that but have it relate to hunting in some form or fashion so um we wanted to make a good t-shirt that wasn't a cotton boxy you yeah. know Essentially right. what you walk into big box stores and yep. find, right? Yep. Um, all the stupid slogans about, you know, whatever. I think the one, that, the one that always sticks out is either something where it's like, my wife let me go hunting. Um, or something about like, if God wanted us to eat broccoli, he'd put, you know, antlers on it. And it's like.
1: <laughs> yeah, which is, I know I know the ones you're talking about. Yeah,
2: yeah. Which all of that, you know, there's so much wrong with all of those shirts um, in that you know, I love my garden. I love my vegetables. Like they're good for you. Right. It's, we're not, we're not just meat eaters. Like if you just eat meat, you probably are very unhealthy yeah. and have, you know, are gonna, you're going to, you're going to die of a heart attack young. Right. Like all this stuff that it's like, it's so anti it's anti showing people the that hunting is part of a whole enriching lifestyle. Right. Um, or just the, like the machismo and all this, you know, um, whatever, that it's male dominated and all that stuff. There's just like, obviously the, the, the culture had a lot of growing up to do. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, and so we took that, you know, we took that to heart really. Um, and, uh, we, we kind of said from the get go that we would always make, we'd always, that we'd never do anything negative. Like all of our t-shirts are always have a positive, um, bent to them. Um, and I've had some really funny ones that could, we could have put out that, um, you know, but they're slightly negative, and it's just like it's not a it's not a vibe we wanted to put out into the world. Right. So yeah, we started with some Colorado designs, and uh, you know that that grew into oh, we should do one for every state, <laughs> which we thought we would do really fast. We're still almost eight years into this company, and we don't have every state done, um, which it just is what it is. But we do have like I think. I, it's a rough number, but we're somewhere around a six point. And, um, it's a lot of, it's a lot of merch we've put out in the world. And, um, you know, at some point, uh, well about three years into it, we're eight years in now, almost in uh, around a year, around year three, uh, my brother left the company to pursue, you know, the full-time gig at meat eater. Um, and so I was kind of left to my own devices, um, which was, uh, it was great it was a good time for me to take that kind of that positive um mindset and really try to build out a community um and kind of a bigger brand that kind of had what we now call our three pillars right so community real food and conservation being the three pillars that we we build our hunting experience around um and uh and people have been really receptive about it right so um it's uh t-shirt business has been good Um, it hasn't been great. Um, as with any small business, there's always a lot to learn. Um, given that I didn't, right. I was an outdoor educator. If anything, I was just a teacher, right. I wasn't a business guy. Right. So I had, I I had some good, uh, steps along the way that kind of gave me a little bit of foundation for some of the stuff we do now. Um, but ultimately, you know, in the last year or so, uh, we've seen a couple opportunities to pivot uh, the company a little bit. And so, um, you know, you, this podcast will probably be the first time where people hear all the stuff we have coming down in August. Um, and so, a couple of big things have happened for Hunty in February. I took on new partners in the company. Um, so for all the folks out there who are in the Upland space and they know Project Upland, um, the owners there are, um, are are Chet and AJ, and they own the Northwoods Collective, um, and they came in as partners to Hunt to Eat in February. Okay. And so since then, we've been building out um, kind of, uh, the media side of hunt to eat. So we're not just an apparel brand anymore. We're also a media company as well as an education company. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. So you said something there that, that I definitely want to talk about some more. And one of the things that I think is really, really cool about what you guys are, you know, what you have done with Hunty is community and kind of building this, this all encompassing, Kind of idea and lifestyle and not just apparel. Like you said, I mean, now you said, you you know, you brought on the, you know, the media side of things, but one of the things that I, I've seen that you guys have, have really kind of amped up over the past, uh, and maybe you kind of started it. Well, no, let me think back maybe late last year, um, with kind of the, the mentored hunts, uh, and everything like that. Um, I think one of, uh, she is your director of hunting, I believe. No, Director of okay. Education, excuse me, Cindy yep. Stites, who yep. is, she is awesome. We had her on the podcast very early on. Um, and I think it was actually probably before she came on board at Hunt, to, at Hunt to Eat. But I've since, you know, we, I mean, she helped make the introduction uh, for you and I, obviously. Um, but like what she does with with getting, um, you know, the the mentor side of things and bringing people, you know, into the wilderness and into the hunting community who otherwise, um, you know, might not have an opportunity to. So kind of talk about the community aspect
2: of it. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, it really stems from the fact that I, I came into this into the hunting world um, and didn't even see, you know, I'm like. For given this as a radio essentially show, um, right. Being a able bodied white male in the world, you would think that I'd fit right in and the hunting world. And that just wasn't the case. Um, there's just a lot of beliefs and whatever uh, belief structures that didn't align for me with the general hunting industry that I saw. I mean, that's the whole t-shirts being the way they are in the right. big box stores. Like that's, that's the vibe that was happening. And I just wasn't down with it at all. Um, and so I, once my brother left the company and I really had it to my own, you know, was left to my own volition. I was like, listen, if, if it was this uncomfortable for me to get into hunting, what is it like for everybody else that does, that isn't a white guy in the world. Right. right. And you don't have to, it's not very hard to go look and ask some people like what it's like. And it's, it's pretty bad. Like it's yeah. not a well, it's not a welcoming place. Um, largely because just representation matters. Right. And so what the major media, in the hunting world does is it, it, it speaks to the crowd that is there, not the crowd that could be there. Right. right? And so that was, that was, uh, we saw that and I saw that as a, it's a, honestly, it's a, it's a good for the world and it's a good business opportunity is to say, cool, well let's make hunting look a little bit different and let's, let's talk to the people who aren't getting, you know, mentioned in social media and then in, in all the movies and all that stuff. Um, and so there's, there's just so many people, that care about their food from uh, and there's people that like to recreate out in the woods and so the next step for them is to really um have a conversation and have a place where they feel like they can go explore what that means and that's that's essentially coming to a hunt to eat camp um so yeah this fall we you know we started last year with a camp in south carolina um and then this year we've already run four or five camps um Shooting some turkeys and some hogs, um, and then this fall we've got everything from upland camps to deer camps, and they're all across the country. Um, I think we've got some fifteen camps planned already, oh, nice. um, and we're just we're just planning into the next year or into twenty twenty two already. But uh, yeah, just a lot of opportunity to um, meet folks from across the you know across all of the United States. Like I think our our one Wisconsin camp which is already sold out. Um, nobody is coming to that camp from Wisconsin. They're coming from Florida and from California. You know, they're coming from all over the place, um, to experience something new, somewhere different. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that it's going to snowball into all of the other stuff we have coming, um, all the other places, kind of the media side of things where we're going to share some of these stories. Um, but, uh, yeah, getting, just getting people together, um, that you wouldn't necessarily expect in the, in the traditional hunting community and, uh, just getting to know folks on a really real level. Um, you know, there's, we all know as hunters, right. That like the hunting experience is something that, you know, maybe it grows a little dull on you once you've done it for 20 years, but like ultimately it's a, it's a really powerful experience, right. To take the life of something. And so to build that into a experience where brand new hunters get to meet brand new people and have a facilitated experience around that like life life changing experience um it's powerful it's cool it's it's a great way to make lifelong friends um
1: yeah no you're you're absolutely right there and it's you're right it's a very powerful thing um hunting whether it's an upland bird it's you know a big game uh it's a hog a turkey whatever the case is right there's it's a very powerful thing um when when you like you said take the life of an animal and you know not just the act of harvesting an animal but you know everything after the fact right because that's just kind of a small portion of of the kind of the the greater picture and you know going back to to one of the pillars of hunting you know real food and yeah i mean it, it seems like there's been like I don't, I don't know if it's like a, a movement or just a, a shift back to kind of the, the origins of why people hunted, right? For that sustainability to, to know where your food came from, you know, back when people started hunting, that was because that was the only way they could feed themselves was, was to the sure. hunt, you know. And, you know, throughout the course of time, you know, a lot of us became very complacent in terms of, you know, Anything you need, you can just go to the grocery store, and you know, no one really cared where it came from, how it got there, whatever. Um, they just knew that you could go to the grocery store and buy your chicken, buy your steak, you know, what have you. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's nice to see that that the way of of looking at hunting in the outdoors kind of coming full circle, I guess, and, and coming back around to the reason we even started this in the first place,
2: right. Yeah. I, you know, I think in general people are wanting, you know, technology and all the, all the good things that talk technology does. It also takes us away from, uh, some of these kind of core, core life experiences, right? Which is connecting with people in, in person, um, connecting with our food, knowing where it comes from and kind of having our hands in the dirt, um, or our hands in the blood, if you will. Um, It's a little, it's a little much for some people, but it's just a very real reality of like, if you want a piece of meat and you want to be responsible for it, your hands are going to get bloody. Um, just, just like they're going to get dirty in the, you know, picking the carrot. Um, and then nature, man, it's just like technology is good for a lot of things, but nature, nature heals a lot more than, than some of that technology does. So, um, people, uh, I think people are just better people when they spend more time outside. Yeah. right? So, yeah that, um,
1: that's, that's very true. I had a guest on a few weeks ago who him and I were talking about just kind of the, the healing powers of the outdoors, right? How, you know, a, a lot of times yeah. after maybe like a, a traumatic life experience or maybe just a life altering experience, you know, kind of getting out into the woods, it just kind of lets you clear your head, uh, maybe reconnect with someone. If you just recently lost someone, like it's just, I don't know if it's the solitude of it. Um, what it is, but it, it definitely has a way of grounding you and kind of recentering you in, in terms of kind of everything else that's going on, you know, uh, outside and around you.
2: Yep. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I mean, that's, um, again, it's good business and it's good. It's a good thing for the world, I think, to be focused on those kind of three pillars. So, um, yeah, so we're, um, we, you know, we've got a lot on the, on the docket for camps. Um, uh, building those all out, um, you know, getting lots of, uh, we're calling them educators. It's not really just mentors, you know, like it's, it's great to have people who are passionate about hunting and who know, who know hunting well, but it's, uh, we're honestly looking for, uh, folks who actually have a, a bit of a pedigree in education, um, to come and work our camps. Um, we're, they're all paid staff, um, so that they you know can put forth a really like an educational experience for folks um out there in the woods um so yeah along with that we're uh we're also launching the hunt to eat magazine um so come august 1st um it'll we'll be talking about it and uh come october 1st you'll have it in your uh in your mailbox so it's it'll be a quarterly magazine um everything from homesteading to gardening to hunting stories to um you know long form reads uh you know short columns um awesome photography um yeah it's going to be uh I think more bon appetite than uh than than any other hunting magazine you've probably seen before but uh and obviously you know thanks to the folks at uh at the Northwoods Collective that's you know uh largely they are kind of running the show and uh, Gabby, who's our director of marketing right now is, uh, transitioning into editor in chief of the, of the magazine, uh, as well as the online editorial. So we just dropped a new website last week. Um, so if folks go and check that new website out, they'll see that there's a lot more written content there for them to kind of explore recipes and explore how to's and kind of uh, species profiles and things like that. Um, so yeah, we're, we're super pumped to put out essentially, uh, or to build, I'll say like our own bully pulpit, right? Like we, we kind of seen that the, if we're going to, sh- if we really want the industry to shift a little bit towards the stories that we're telling, then we honestly just needed to, uh, make the platforms to, to do that ourselves. So, um, likewise in about the same time frame, you'll see us drop right now, I think four new podcasts. Um, oh, wow. so you'll, yeah. So you'll see the hunt to eat show, um, that it's coming with, uh, Casey and Paul are going to be doing that and that'll kind of like a short form editorial, um, that'll be fast, fast paced. Um, it'll move through kind of hunting community, real food and, and, uh, conservation kind of in every episode. Um, and then, uh, we have a couple of chefs that we're working with that are going to be doing like a more, um, you know, wild, uh, foraged and cooked, um, in- content, and then uh, Jonah Curtis, who's been one of our longstanding ambassadors, he's uh, he'll have a homesteading podcast coming.
1: OK, yeah, I know Jonah. Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah. He's a he's a riot. He's such a great guy. And uh, yeah. he's just really well informed about I mean, his own homestead is so fantastic. And so he'll be sharing tons of content from there in a podcast. Um, he'll also have an ongoing column in the uh in our, in the magazine. And then, uh, there's a couple other kind of things in the works as well. So, um, yeah, we're pumped to have just a lot more content out there for folks to consume and, uh, and learn from.
1: So, yeah, well, first off, that's, that's super exciting. I mean, and you guys aren't just kind of dabbling with the media side of things. I mean, you guys are going all in and kind of covering <laughs> all your bases with the magazine yep. and then the different podcasts and, and things like that. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And for this day and age and it, what it seems like there's a, there's kind of a shift with the with the outdoor community and whether it's just you know more younger people are getting involved or the younger voices in the hunting community are just getting louder, uh, especially yeah. you know with social media growing and everything like that. That this is a, a perfect opportunity yet yeah, to to have a bunch of content out there, especially for people who want to learn more, um, not only about the hunting side of things, but like you know the homesteading and the foraging and you know how to, you know create all of these great meals with you know various types of wild game that's out there.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's it's fun. It's uh it's uh it's a great way for the voices that haven't been heard, um, in the industry to really come forward a bit more. I think, um, it doesn't matter if you're a huge, you know, just, it's, uh, social media maybe has democratized, um, how people get heard in the world. Yeah. Um, which I think is, uh, here, I think it's, it's for the better. Um, we also actually have a bunch of, uh, movies coming out. So, um, we've got a huge documentary that, uh, documentary project that's titled right now on the land. Um, that's a partnership that hunt eats working on. Um, that'll drop probably early next year. Um, and then we also will be working on uh, uh, Hunt Eat specifically. We'll be doing a uh, little shorter form, um, kind of mini movies, if you will, um, throughout the course of the next, well, just ongoing really. So, um, if folks have, if folks have, uh, interesting folks that they think, uh, their stories should be told, um, and they, uh, those stories aren't getting picked up by the bigger brands, uh, definitely reach out to us at Hunt to Eat and we'd love to have conversations with, with people about um, telling those stories because there's so many fantastic people in the world um, who haven't had their voices heard. So um, I'm excited to raise them up a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's great because you're absolutely right that there's, there's far more people out there um, that no one's ever heard of that no one knows about their story, um, than those that are kind of constantly being talked about or, or, or constantly being the stories about certain people that are constantly being told. Because that's one of the great things about the podcast that I've been able to experience is all the different stories about people, you know, doing this tremendous work, you know, in the field of conservation. I mean, I had a gentleman on very early on who he lives in uh, in Pennsylvania, like northern, like northeast Pennsylvania, and got involved somehow in transferring mountain goats oh gosh from somewhere out in Washington so basically like he hopped a flight out to Washington like got a like volunteered and drove a refrigerated box truck with mountain goats in it to re to relocate them from one park to another and it's just wow. like this is, yeah it's just this crazy story just you know just a random dude who wanted to help and you know wanted to get involved and here he is you know transporting, you know, mountain goats and, you know, across the country from him. So, you know, if, if there's one story like that, I mean, there's gotta be thousands out there of, of people doing just crazy things, awesome things that, that more and more people need to hear about. Yep. For sure.
2: Yeah. Um, Go ahead.
1: Yeah. I was gonna say, so from now we've kind of touched on the first two pillars a little bit and, and obviously one of the ones I I really want to talk about um, is the conservation side of things. Um, yeah. so from the 2%, uh, 2% for conservation side of things, how was it that you first learned about 2%? Uh,
2: I mean, Jared, I don't know where I met Jared Frazier. Um, but he definitely, I just call him a friend now. Yeah. Um, boy, I, that's funny. I, I have forgotten where we met. I'm not sure if it was a BHA event or, or what, but, um, yeah, as soon as he had this wild hair of an idea we were, we were game, you know, I mean, part of, part of how we started, um, certainly not all of it, but part of it was, uh, you know, partnering with good conservation organizations because what I essentially saw happening with the t-shirts is that, and I still see it happening with t-shirts. I mean, there was literally huge, uh, efforts were made this year selling t-shirts that I would just never wear because they're, they're printed really poorly. Um, and so unfortunately what happens is that people spend all these marketing dollars on making merchandise that is cheaper so they can make a lot more of it. But if it's cheap, nobody wants to wear it. Yeah. And if nobody wants to wear it, then your message just gets put either in the garbage or it gets made into a rag or it gets put into the t-shirt drawer, but it's all the way in the back. Right. And it's like, well, what's the point? What's the point of investing all that money if no one's actually going to see it? Whereas, You know, I I see people wearing Hunt Eat t shirts all the time, particularly online, but like you can tell it's their favorite t shirt because it's a comfortable t shirt. Yeah. Right. It's so, like, when we did the Migration Corridors t shirt, like I see people all over Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming wearing that shirt all the time. It's super comfortable and the graphics are cool. Uh, And so, then it's there for them to have a conversation with people when they're sitting at the bar or doing, you know, whatever it is. Right. Um, And so, yeah. So that essentially, that's part of how we got started was like providing that service to conservation organizations and saying, Hey, like, let us do something cool for you, um, for a, a discounted rate, um, and then selling them t-shirts so they could get the message out. Um, and that certainly worked as a business model for a little while. Um, because it wasn't a successful model. Um, but I'm still, we still do some of that work with folks. So like actually just, um, two or three nights ago, I went out to, uh, Red Rocks amphitheater here in Denver and got to see the trampled by turtles. Um, the band, uh, play a show there and man, was it fun to walk into Red Rocks and see, um, you know, local folks, hunters wearing the trampled by pheasants t-shirts that we made. That was a collaboration between trampled by turtles and pheasants forever. Um, and we did the artwork for it, um, and printed the shirts, you know, to share the message of, of, uh, of pheasant conservation and kind of like how cool upland hunting is, you know, yeah. thanks to those folks. Um, and those guys are rocking the, you know, they're just so pumped to, to be rocking that shirt and it's out there in the world and they're having conversations about it. So we're still doing a little bit of that. We have a new, again, another partnership with pheasants forever and trampled by turtles. We're working on that right now for a rent, the second version of that. Um, we, you know, we've been doing a little bit on the side here, like the new Arizona Wildlife Federation uh, logo is one that we designed. Um, so there's, you know, there's a little there's stuff on the side here now that we're still working on and helping people with. Um, I think ultimately you'll see as far as the conservation stuff from us um, in the in the podcasts and in the in the movies and whatnot. We'll be talking about some of those issues that don't necessarily get talked about as much, you know, the effects okay. of climate change. The effects of climate change on hunting and conservation issues um you know i think in the in the hunting show with casey and paul they'll be interviewing a lot more scientists and kind of talking about the work they're actually doing in the field okay um and, sh- and sharing those stories a little bit more so um yeah it's uh it's all a work in progress there's also some uh some discussions about uh Um, you know, I, I I really appreciate the kind of boots on the ground work. Um, I think that's where people feel really, um, like they can really make a difference. Right. So I appreciate that about 2% for conservation that like they ask for your time and for your money. Um, and it's really giving back that time. So like this year, um, two weeks ago, I went out with a buddy, um, and he's the, uh, he's the adoptee of a part of the Colorado trail. And so we went out there and, uh, for two days, we just uh, – we brought the – it was in wilderness, so we brought chainsaws, but they're – you know, it's literally a chain. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that, uh, that saw, but it's pretty crazy. You know, you, like, put some sticks on either end and you drag that chain across the log and – Get it. to work, yeah. Get to work. So we ended up cutting, like, some 30 logs um, off the trail and okay. just clearing trail for two days. Um, and I, th- I think that people – Again, people want to be out in nature. People want to be connected with other people, um, and so that type of trail work is uh, is a really good way to give back to uh, you know. That's the Colorado Trail. It's not really. It's not a place I hunt or anything. It's not a. It's a. It's a, if anything, it's just another trail. I might go backpack with my wife or something like that. But um, it's it felt really good to leave that place, knowing you know that like every trail user that was coming through there was going to have a clear path to yeah. enjoy the day. Um, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, no that that's really cool. Especially like you said, I mean, you you don't hunt that area and you know, you maybe you'll go, you know, backpacking with your wife or something through there, but for the most part it was just it was the right thing to do. Right? It was yeah. it, it was something that needed to be done and you guys spent a weekend doing as much as you could. And I mean, that's that's the beauty about, you know, not only what 2% asks of its its members, but you know, just with giving back in general and the boots on the ground is like it can be anything. Right? It can be anything right. that that better's you know wildlife habitat wilderness uh you know anything like that so to when i look and when i think about what you just did i mean that's you know that's that doesn't really benefit you uh kind of directly right it's going to benefit a ton of other people but you still did it anyway yeah yep
2: yeah it's uh if anything it just hurt my lower back
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know i know for yeah. for, for people listening um matting and i can see each other um but uh he's he's in some pain over there every time he kind of he, he readjusts or, or shifts on the couch there or anything like that yeah. he's he's wincing a little bit so yeah i appreciate you bearing with me here
2: no it's all good it's uh, i'm hoping that the the uh zone kicks in here shortly and really gets my back i just strained it like lifting a couch the other day um but uh yeah anyway um Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I appreciate, I appreciate 2%, you know, driving that home with folks and with businesses and individuals. And, uh, I think it's a good, it's a good standard. I like standard folks, right. Do 1% of their time and 1% of their money. Um, it's quite a low standard, I think. Um, but the more people we have doing it, the better it is. So, um, yeah, I I would, I would definitely urge folks to consider, um, making that a, a thing that they do.
1: Um, yeah, because i yeah. all, all, every little bit, you know, even if you just, you know, you look at, you just kind of look yourself in the mirror and you're like, you know, what can I do? Well, yeah, you may only be able to do so much, but if you do it and I do it and the guy across the street does it, I mean, all those little things, they add up over time. And that's what I always say at the end of every podcast. It's like conservation starts with you, right? Like you have to make that, that conscious decision, that effort to, to go out and make a change and hope that, you know someone else maybe out on the trailhead sees you doing that, or someone sees you down at the river while you're fishing, you know, picking up trash when you're all done or picking up trash on your way to your fishing spot or anything like that. And the next time they're out, they're doing the same thing. And just this, you know, you you hope that there's just this ripple effect, you know, anytime you're out in the field and you come across someone else and, and they see you, you know, doing something that should be done.
2: Yep. For sure. Yeah. It's a good, it makes me think about the way I talk to, um, to folks about hunting right and we were like so this past weekend we were at a farmer's market um just, honestly i mean we're yes we're trying to sell spots for the hunt camps but honestly we're just trying to share wild game you know the whole venison diplomacy thing like hey have you tried wild game like have a piece you know here's sh- i shared a bunch of whitetail backstrap and elk backstrap with people for four hours and um you know people people ask questions about hunting and you know the like, where, where do you start and all of that? And for me, really, it's like, everyone's a hunter, right? Mm-hmm. Because you, when you walk into a grocery store, you are hunting with dollar bills <laughs> and you are, you're making general, probably most of you are making a very unconscious decision. Um, but hopefully if people start to move to just more conscious decisions around what is, what's the effect of me buying, you know, this product versus that product. Um, and that's hunting, man. That's like, you're affecting a food system. You're affecting the ecology of your place of the ecology of this planet by the choices you make in a grocery store. And if that's the place where you are at right now as a, as a hunter, welcome to the table. Yeah. Like that's a great place to be. We want people to make more conscious decisions around, around where their food comes from. Um, be that buying a, you know, grass fed beef versus buying some massive you know massively farmed piece of beef like the more better the more decisions you're making that you're thinking through um that's a good place that's a good thing for our planet right for everyone to start there so um yeah i just encourage everyone to keep keep thinking about it and there's no there's no perfect answer right like um i'll be the first one to say that like um this is a cup from taco bell because i didn't have time for lunch today right (laughs) and like i ate tacos for lunch from there, and like, yeah, it's not the best. It's fully not the best. It's a, it's supporting a food system I don't want to support. But that's the reality of like, we do what we can when we can, and yeah. hopefully we're moving towards something a little bit better. And uh, hopefully next time I pack my lunch from home, right? But like, we're you know we're all human, and we do what we do.
1: Um, so. Yeah, yeah, we all we all make those decisions, and I you know I don't yeah. think people should be should be shamed for them. But yeah, if 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 you know that you're making that decision, excuse me, making that decision and you're going, well, this isn't the best, but you know, I know this isn't the norm. This isn't what I'm doing every day, but you know, sometimes situations call for, for a little bit of Taco Bell and there's there's yep. no shame in that.
2: <laughs> no, there isn't. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, I, it, I, that, I like the name of the, of your podcast, right. the average conservationist. And it's like, I think that's, that's we've always carried a bit of that mantra at hunt to eat is that like, like I'm an average hunter, you know, like I'm an average cook. Like my go-to cooking is like a burger. Right. And there's no shame in that. It's like, however, whatever your experience is of your own wild game. And if you like it, then all the better. Right. And if you want to slowly move towards something a little bit different, like hunt eats there with you. Right. Well, we've got an awesome burger recipe for you. We've also got like the next step. We'll teach you the next couple of tricks to put up your sleeve, uh, um, to cook you know something a little bit uh, a little fancier but uh man there's nothing shame in just like good good average hunting make, to make good average burgers you know if you like it then
1: yeah. fantastic yeah and that's you know? kind of where the whole name stemmed from from my you know from my company and then obviously with the podcast it, you know it just was kind of fortuitous that it worked out like teaming up with two percent to kind of bring this podcast was that you know I think there's a lot more people out there that are like you and I in terms of you know just being average hunters right like they, they do it when they can you know they really enjoy it it's it's part of what they do it's part of who they are but you know not all of us unfortunately can can make a living hunting you know all year round and for those that can't you know there's that, that and that's kind of where the name came from that's what I wanted to celebrate and not just you know average hunters but you know people that are are you know, working nine to fives, but then still finding time to give back to conservation because they just love hunting and they love the outdoors.
2: Yeah, totally. It's uh, it is all to be celebrated. So yeah, absolutely. uh, Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for doing what you're doing. I appreciate it.
1: Oh yeah. Well, thank you. Well, real quick, Matin here before I let you go, I know, um, I always, I always try to ask people, uh, when we wrap things up is, you know, do you have any like big hunts or anything like that that you're really excited for? Uh, I know fall is right around the corner here.
2: I do. Um, Let's see big hunts, um, two hunts. I'm, I'm really excited to get back in the elk woods. Um, I do love it. Um, we've got, I mean, so I'm, I'm a bit lucky that I get to go hunt on all the hunt camps. I'm not necessarily always hunting. I'm going to be carrying a camera for most of them. Um, but I do have a a week in the woods with a really good buddy and his uh, nephew and a buddy of his, um, and they're, uh, they're active green berets. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I'm, they had success last year, but I'm just – I'm so pumped to be in the archery elk woods calling, you know, hearing bugles. Like, man, that's, that is – that is. there's just nothing quite like a screaming bull at, like, yeah. five yards when you get to experience that. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped to get out there in the woods with those guys, and uh, I, there's been a bit of banter already going back and forth. Like, I'm sure these guys could, like, carry me out of the woods because they're just – they're literally – Built like shit brick houses, right? They're like uh, brick shit houses. Um, they're just built to like carry like a lot. They like go rucking with like 110 pounds, yeah. which is like, <laughs> like I, you know, I'm, like I'm not that light, but I'm, you know, I'm not that much over that weight either. So it's like, um, but then they also complain about like how fast their my buddy, who's their mm-hmm. uncle, um, you know, we're ultra runners and stuff. So we like we run around the woods in the mountains without any problem but uh, it'll just be fun to like see the big dudes versus the little dudes and out in the elk woods um and then honestly i've got a elk tag for myself that's uh just a kind of a grocery hunt it's uh we're hopefully going to tell a bit of the story behind it but uh there's a open space in boulder where um they've got a resident elk herd now that okay. doesn't leave it doesn't, it doesn't migrate anymore and so uh, i drew one of those tags to go shoot a cow um out of this herd so um, it'll just be a different experience. Um, I'm I'm just pumped to put meat in the, in the freezer again, um, with all of the farmer stand stuff we're doing and all that kind of stuff. I'm definitely trying to, um, hunt as much as I can. So I have as much meat as I can to share with folks, um, over the course of the next year. So,
1: yeah. And if you're going to give out the back straps for four hours on a Saturday, man, that stuff's going to go pretty (laughs) quick. (laughs) I know.
2: I know. So yeah, I'm trying to, kind of fill the freezer in a bunch of different places. So I've got a lot to give away. So, uh, right on. yeah, you know, we've got a couple of camps that we're partnering with, um, with Tyler Webster from the, uh, birds, booze and birds. Sorry, I'm messing up Tyler's name of his podcast, birds, booze and buds podcast, um, along with project upland. Um, so we've got like a sharp tail grouse camp in North Dakota and a, uh, quail camp in Arizona, um, with both spots left for, for both of those camps. Um, but I've never hunted grouse,
1: so I'm just
2: like a pump to get out there and experience uh, something new. Yeah. see some different species, you know? Yeah. Um, so it should be fun. Yeah. Awesome. Well, no, it sounds,
1: it sounds like a real kick-ass fall that you have coming up and, and I wish you all the success while you're out there.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. Cool.
1: Well, all right. thank you again, man. I I look forward to seeing all the cool stuff that, uh, that you guys have coming out here in the next few weeks and, uh, subscribing and and getting my first catalog here. My, My first magazine, excuse me
2: yeah 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 totally cool man well thanks for the opportunity and uh yeah thanks for having me on yeah absolutely man take care all right see ya all right
1: all right well thanks again to Mating for taking some time to join me today and tell us about some of the cool stuff that uh is coming down the pike for hunt to eat I would like to thank the partners of the podcast, Wild Rivers Coffee, Go Hunt, and Stone Glacier. Uh, Please be sure and support the companies that support this podcast and help make it possible. I would also like to thank 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to follow 2% on social media where they're going to post only positive content so you enjoy their conservation focused posts in your feed. Uh, So, again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for conservation, you can visit them online at fishandwildlife.org or check them out on social media. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Uh, Remember, stay safe out there and conservation starts with you.